Cody, am I on? Okay. We may be with the wrong crowd. Good heavens, boy, it was a mass exodus. I just have to move over here and talk to y'all. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we're grateful for just a midweek Sabbath to come together with you. Thank you, Father, for your people. And I pray, Father, for clarity tonight. Pray, Father, that uh, your word would be exposed with clarity and with grace and honor. I pray, Father, that you'd bless this time. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. When the leadership decided that we were going to have a financial series in my mind, at one point, it was, a going, it was going to be maybe some numbers and some spreadsheets and maybe some financial principles and some things like that. And, and Clay and I got to talking about those things, and it became very clear early on in the process, even before anything hit the paper, that this was really about a matter of the heart. And for me personally, as we walked through Luke chapter 16 and then... Um, the two sermons that Ben has preached regarding faith recently, and then hearing the contentment last week, some of that has come together for me. And one of the things that, that has been um, a wake-up point for me is that I don't have as much faith in some areas that I thought. And so it, be encouraged in that, that just because someone standing up here talking about money, we don't have this figured out and we're still learning and we're still submitted and we're trying to figure it out with you. Our text tonight is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 12. The way I'm going to go about tonight is I'm going to set up just a little bit for about 10 minutes God's design. Because I think we need to have a platform or a foundation of, of what God's design is. And then we will go through verses 6 through 12. Some of you may not want to talk about the financial questions I have, but, we, but you can write them down. We won't get too carried away. So let's read 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. This is Paul. And the title of what we're talking about tonight is a good gift, a cheerful, a cheerful giver. Let me read verses 6 through 12. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, you will be enriched in every way to be generous 
in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. We know based on our sermon in Luke 16, the two sermons that we had, that we are steward of money that's not ours. We also know that wealth is no mark of God's favor. Now, one of the Christian paradigms that we get into is some Christian paradigms associate wealth as a sign of God's blessing, even to the point that they think that financial success is a key to church leadership. This is very evident in the health and wealth gospel. Proponents claim it's God's will for every believer to be rich. In other words, they replace the sovereignty of God with the sovereignty of the believer. In this paradigm, God really functions no more than like a utility service, a service provider, someone that just meets the request of the believer. And really, in its fundamental form, it's a form of entitlement. It's entitlement that wrecks the soul and divides the heart. And what I mean is that it's really hard to give. It's hard to be a cheerful giver when you think something or someone or some circumstance owes you a better life. The mentality divides the heart. It's the difference between grasping and giving. Now, if we look at Paul, Paul said... I've been both hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed and roughly treated. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, he said, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So the question I want to ask you briefly is, so what do you think it is for God's plan for you to prosper? What does it look like to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm just I, 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 I'm invoking Scott's clause here. It's, you know, it's time to, time for group participation here. We can I can kickstart it off again. Uh, so, what do you think it is for God's plan for us to prosper? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. What else? Okay. Right. So, so our sanctification, and we prosper. And what else did you say? And prosper in His kingdom. Okay. And then Morris said that taking the dollar signs out of that set of circumstances. Well, clearly God's plan for our prosperity does involve hard work. It does involve wise investments, diligent savings or a budget. We talked about that. But at the same time, in contrast with the world, our means, our path, 
Our our sojourning as Christians is not self-accumulation or greed, but it's actually, actually the opposite. It's generous giving. Remember we said in Luke chapter 16 that we are stewards of money that's not ours. To set up this design, if you look in Luke chapter 6, and I want you to see this, turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 38, before we jump back to Corinthians. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your lap, for the measure that you use will be measured back to you. And here's the point. Generous givers reap generous blessings from God, while those that selfishly hold back forfeit blessing and forfeit gain. So generous givers reap generous blessing. Now one more point as we set up our foundation and we set up our design. All of us, or most of us, from a traditional Baptist context probably came to know Christ through John 3.16. We basically all know what that verse says, but at least in my 45 years, I've read that verse from a salvation point. I've read that verse as a context for salvation. But if we come at it at just a little bit different angle, I want you to see what it says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, would have eternal life. So Jesus is clearly the special gift, truly the good gift, the gift for redemption, the gift for salvation. So intrinsically, God our Father is a giver. It's where we should also, in circumstances, connect with others as God connected with us through giving. Coming together to give to further, excuse me, to further the kingdom, to save a child, to meet a need, build a building, or further a ministry should be just a part of the index of our heart as givers in Christ. So we can see the gospel clearly calls us to be givers. Let's look back at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 9 And what I'm going to do is give you five principles, five principles of a cheerful giver. And I'm going to run through them just real quick, and then we'll back up and go through them, okay? The first thing is you reap what you sow. Number two, we should be a people of offering number three giving produces spiritual maturity and growth number four our worship is defective when we don't tithe. And 
And number five, who we are as givers has a lot to say about who we are in Christ. Who we are as givers has a lot to say about who we are in Christ. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 6. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you'll remember when we were in Luke chapter 16, we mentioned Malachi 3.10. And what was happening there is the entire nation of Israel was under a curse for robbing God. The Israelites were being chastised by the prophet as their hearts had grown cold toward God. The folks were dragging in stolen, lame, sick, certainly less than desirable gifts for the sacrifice for sin. Yet this verse in, in Malachi 3.10 is really the biblical exchange clause. Because we, what we give to God, he gives back, and what he gives back to us is so much better. I would so much rather have what God has in his hand than what I have in mine. And in Malachi, God challenges, challenges us to give. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. In 2 Corinthians here, Paul uses farming as an agricultural imagery or uses farming as the agricultural imagery to help us see that harvest is directly proportionate with the seed that is sown. At least in my experience with farming and farmers, farmers traditionally are salt of the, of the earth type people. They work and they sow in faith, being faithful to do what is right in front of them. Come what may, there's a crop in the field. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You have to tend to it. Circumstances rarely affect the resolve of the farmer, and so too as us as Christians, circumstances should rarely affect us. We should be faithful in sowing and reaping. If you sow little, you reap little. And here Paul is working to motivate the Corinthians to meet the needs of the members of the Jerusalem church. He's saying to them that God promises a harvest in accord with what believers sow. Most of you know that Cindy and I had a farm for several years. Just in the last few months did we sell our farm and sell out. God provided a, an answer to a prayer in multiple capacities, and we sold out. And I will, I am so thankful for the experience that God gave me there. Because when you work the land, when you realize that you are not in control, when you realize that you may have the best equipment, you may have the best land, the best water, the best whatever, 
that God is still in control. But one of the things that was so interesting, I'm an accountant by trade, and so I'm always looking at the numbers. And I didn't have this biblical principle of you reap what you sow in mind. And some one year or two, I decided to cut back the water. And gas prices had gone up, so fertilizer had gone up. And so I cut our input by about 20%. Look at what kind of money I'm saving. First harvest came along. Instead of being 100, 125 bales to the acre, it was 80 to 90 bales to the acre. So I began trying to figure out what was going on. I had forgotten about that principle. Sowing is an essential element to reaping. They go hand in hand. Let me say that again. Sowing is an essential element to reaping. They go hand in hand. And so it's important to understand that we reap what we sow. Number two, we should be people of offering. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want your pocket lint. Everybody remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Remember the story where they, had, where they were sold their land and possessions and were going to present that to the apostles in Acts chapter 5? And yet they had not really presented a true offering. So God killed them. Our giving should be voluntary. It should be without co coercion. It should be done with integrity. That's what went wrong with Ananias and Sapphira. It came from their head, not their heart. Yet to say that our offering should be voluntary does not mean it should be careless or casual. The word pro-air mean, uh, means purposed in the New Testament. It has the idea of being predetermined. While our, giving should be, while our giving should have elements of spontaneity, it should also be planned. Our giving should be offered without remorse or without regret. In other words, not grudgingly. Luke 12, 15 says, and you don't have to turn there, and Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in all of the abundance of your possessions. Now, interestingly enough, next week we're going to be in Luke 12. In fact, that's where we're going to launch from in Luke 12 in the story of the rich young ruler. And what we're going to look at there is we're going to look at six points of greed. Now, I'm sure most of you have not gone to your pastor or your small group shepherd and confessed to being greedy. So we're going to draw six signs from the text of what it looks like to be greedy. To covet or give grudgingly is to say it's mine. 
What about my concerns? What about my needs? Our offering is really a test. The offering that God approves of comes from a cheerful, a cheerful giver, a submitted heart. The word cheerful is translated from the word hilarious, which is where we get the English word hilarious. We should be happy and joyous in our giving. As believers, it should be characteristic of our faith and our walk. It should come natural without question. It's not reactive as much as it's proactive. It's how we respond. It's, what, it's just what we in community as a faithful Christian community do. It's our response in worship to a redemptive work. Question, do you often feel cheerful when you give? I don't. I don't always feel cheerful when I give. Anybody ever given out of compulsion? Or felt guilty because you didn't give? Is anybody uncomfortable? Do you worry about do I have enough to give? Is that an indication of your faith? I mean, we all have real bills to pay, real groceries to buy, real medical expenses. Tax notices will be here next week. Do you feel cheerful when you give? Do you worry about... Do I have enough to give? And how does that affect your faith? Number three, giving produces spiritual maturity and growth. 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Our giving to others and to our church should enrich us in every way. When we grow in maturity, we share. In other words, we don't think of ourselves as much. We become more selfless. As parents, as families, when you buy a candy bar for a child, you say, can I have a piece of that? What normally happens, Sarah? No. No. The child says, no, it's mine. And you say, really? Seriously? I just bought you that candy bar. The parent looks at the child and goes, you're kidding, right? I know it's your, yours, yours, but didn't I just buy that for you? I can't have just an edge of your candy bar? Come on now. 
Now, we all know the child, the immature one, says, no, it's mine. This is a true story. Several months ago, not even knowing I was doing this, I was working security next door, and uh, a parent team, mother and a dad, told one of the nursery workers, I think y'all were in there, and said, um, if he cries, give him a quarter. And so I heard it, and I was feeling a little mischievous that morning. And so I reached in my pocket, and I went down the hall after the parents left, and I said, okay, I said, where is that young man? And he was standing on the slide and waving his arms, and he was crying, and he was upset. And I called out his name, and he came over, and he talked to me, and I said, would you like a quarter? Oh, yes, I would like a quarter. So I gave the young man a quarter. He goes back to the slide. He's all happy and everything. And so I go back to the office and start paying attention to what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. So I go back around there, you know, about 20 or 30 minutes later, and I call the young man's name. And yes, sir, you know, he's three or four. I don't know how old he was. And I said, can I have a quarter? No, sir, it's mine. And I mean, it was just, it was just evident. I mean, three and four years old, that quick, I mean, he, he had established it was mine. So spiritual maturity recognizes that God has given you everything. God says, give me 10% of everything for the work of the church, for the work of the kingdom, for the needs of the less fortunate, for the lives of the unborn, just 10%. God says, I've given you everything. And you say what? What do you say? <laughs> but sometimes in our heart we say it's mine 1 Corinthians 4 says basically what you have is not a gift let me, let me rephrase that what, what do you have that is not a gift and therefore how dare you treat it as anything but a gift here's the point the more we give to others the more enriched we are as human beings to be generous at every opportunity results in more people giving thanksgiving to God. Christians understand that even though we understand that we have the heart of a child, still sometimes we say, it's mine. Number four. Our worship is defective when we don't tithe. It says we trust our abilities versus trusting in God. It discredits our confession in Christ. God's blessing should fuel our generosity, relational, and financial. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us all will produce thanksgiving to God. 
Can any of you think of the most recent event or think of an example where others have been relationally generous with others? And all of us were enriched in every way. Where thanksgiving was given to God. Any idea? Mm-hmm. Right. Through adoption, a lot of money was put together for the Hamiltons, or there, there, are, there are other families where a child has been saved. What else? The Hicks and the Brays. That, that's exactly right. They have money sitting on the balance sheet in this church because of a faithful people and a faithful God to meet the needs of their children. It's the Acts 2.44 thing. Flip to Acts 2.44. I want you to see this again because it's so important. We talked about it in the sermon. And this verse correlates with that. Turn to Acts 2.44. In fact, let's start at verse 42. This is what happens when we trust God. We're relationally and we're financially generous. And it says in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, LTG, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people and what did God do? And God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pretty cool. While it is impossible, or while, it, while it is possible to give without loving, it is impossible to love without giving. The concept, the concept of a tithe is as old as the story of Melchizedek. In other words, if we go back and we look at what the design of the gospel is, turn to Genesis chapter 14. Because I want you to see how old this concept really is. And I want you to see how Father Abraham, how Abraham handled, or Abram at this time, handled this situation. Does everybody remember who Melchizedek is? Ben preached a sermon on it years ago. He is called the king of Salem. 
which would be the king of Jerusalem, possibly a precursor of Jesus. And in verse four, or excuse me, chapter 14, verse 17, it says, After his return from the defeat at Kedorlaomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now listen right here. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. What I'm wanting you to see here is the concept of tithing is as old as the book of Genesis on his appearance, Abraham responds by, volunt by volunteering or offering a tithe of the spoils of battle, vowing not to take anything for himself. He gave a tenth of the war pile to the king of Salem, a king of priest, which means king of righteousness, the representative of the Davidic line of redemption. He got a tenth, and Abraham doesn't stutter. He just did it. It came natural. As we previously stated, the biblical, the biblical design is that we give. The world teaches that prosperity comes from grasping. But clearly, based on the biblical design, we are called to give in faith. In faith, we must hold not to a worldly paradigm of giving out of convenience or when the circumstances are right, the truth is the circumstances are never right. The sacrificial call to give usually comes in a trial. It comes in a really bad time. Giving naturally says you're going to have less. Let me say that again. When you decide to give, what you need to understand is you're naturally going to have less. But that does not mean that you're going to have less spiritually or supernaturally. It's in faith. Ultimately, if we trust God's provision for our salvation, so should we also trust how Jesus calls us to love one another. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Don't you see right here? In the New Testament does not command a tithe. But do you see how Jesus has loved us? Jesus is the good gift. Jesus is the example. He became poor 
so we could become rich in him. He gave up everything. What does your tithing say about your worship? Do you see the connection? What does your tithing say about your worship? Do you see the relationship that faith produces giving? Faith produces giving. Is this making sense? Okay? Everybody with me? Okay. Number five. Who we are as givers has a lot to say about who we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Our gifts are not only meeting the needs of the saints, but it is overflowing in many giving thanksgiving to God. Paul expected the gifts and the offerings of the Corinthians to meet and fully supply the needs of the saints. That's what he fully expected here. Corinth was a commercial city. Commerce was in play. People were doing business. And Paul expected to meet the needs of those hurting in Macedonia. More importantly here, the giving of the Corinthians validated their faith. Are you hearing the word faith come up again? Their giving validated their faith. Remember the context of Corinth at the time. It was largely corrupt. There was moral decay, chaos in the church. And it would have been difficult to believe that anyone had any genuine faith, yet they gave. Sacrificial giving is really a character exercise. To do so is to, dam is to tangibly demonstrate love for others, love for God, in the inconvenient and the mundane. It proves we are doers of the word and not just hearers only. The obedience of the Corinthians proved their confession in the gospel. While their works did not save them, it clearly demonstrated a living faith. It demonstrated they understood that Christ was the good gift. God calls us to be generous, and he calls us to give. We've got just a few minutes. Does anybody have any questions or some point they'd like to bring up? I know money can be um, sometimes hard to talk about, um, I've made a lot of mistakes.
with money. I've made some good choices with money, but I've also made a lot of mistakes. All right, yes. Mm-hmm. Many times don't have a meal. Mm-hmm. So how does all that apply to someone who doesn't have enough money to put meal, food on their table, but yet, I, and I think I'm a lot to think of that, but mm-hmm. how does that apply to them? Like, all these things. All these things, yeah. okay. It's not a bad question, but but it is a difficult question. And what I think Sarah's trying to ask here is their context of ministry, and it could be any of our context. In other words, there are some people, whether they're in our community or in Mexico, that it would be as if these principles didn't apply. They literally have nothing to give. Okay. Well, but how do they apply? I don't have a good answer. What I would say, though, is that I think that's where I think that's where we come in. I think that's where we come in as a as as a church, as Christians, as individuals. I mean, each of us have opportunities to give and do things for people that nobody knows about. Um, I don't know the context on the ground there, but they're obviously on our radar now. They have been on our radar. And so that, that's something as a church that I think that we have to pray about, that we have to budget for, that we have to, to move in in faith. And I don't think that the all-American dollar can cure world hunger. It's not no. Exactly. And one thing Lance has told me over and over is God says the poor you will always have with you. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's very true. The poor will always be there. Mm-hmm. I understand. And again, I don't have all of the answers. I'm still struggling and figuring with you because there's needs. There are needs in the community, for example, that I would like to meet as a businessman. And I don't have the resources or the manpower to do it every day. I have it sometimes, but I don't have it all the time. And so... I find myself walking in what's right in front of me daily. Sometimes it's unexpected. I I will tell you something that's really cool, though. In the last few weeks, as we have talked about faith, as we've talked about budgets, as we've talked about relational generosity, it has been absolutely hilarious, to borrow a word that we talked about, to watch people taking care of other people. I mean, it has been a blessing. I I can barely keep up with it on some days as a deacon. I mean, it is so encouraging, and yet it is also so challenging. So I think being aware 
in that situation. But I don't have all the answers, Sarah. No, that's correct. <coughs> Excuse me. But that's why we're in community. Right. And then what we can't do as one church, maybe we partner with another church. And then maybe we partner with someone else. I don't know. But that is certainly something worth praying about, something worth considering. That is certainly a valid concern. Correct. Lynn was saying that uh, resources don't always have to be money. That resources can be time. Resources can be, uh, it can be anything. It can be vehicles. It can be clothes. It can be homes. I mean, it can come in all different forms. It can be your time. And so he's absolutely correct in that. And to be cheerful in it. Right, you can be grudgingly about it. You can you can serve out of compulsion and that's that's not worship. That's not what God calls us to do. Anybody else? Right. Clay is talking about verse 12, where it says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving. And he's talking about what's happening in what's happening in the context of our church, what's happening in the context of our families, where, where God is being glorified through others giving and through others loving other people. It's the Acts 2.44 clause. Anybody else? Let me say again, I've said it in business meeting type situations, in, in membership meetings. You are a blessed people you are so faithful to give and to love others it is absolutely a privilege to serve you in 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 different ways and different capacities you are a blessed people for the way you love other people it is evident it is evident in so many ways and it is a lot of fun quite frankly to watch it happen it is something that is worth giving God praise for because we see it over and over and over again. And we are so blessed as a people and as a church. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the good gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you 
that you love us. That, Father, that you spared nothing for us. That you gave us everything. Father, I pray that we would take these verses, learning what it is to be a cheerful giver. That, Father, that we would love people and, more importantly, love you with it. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray, Father, a blessing over this people, asking you to protect them, watch over them and their families before we come together again on Sunday. Thank you, Father, for this time, and bless us as we go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.